episode number 162. This is Greg Duncan. I'm Gordon Beaming. This is Josh Garfrick. Gentlemen, and Josh. <laughs> hey, I resemble that remark. Gordon, how you doing, man? It's been a while since we've had you on, or you've been able to join yeah. us. Yeah, I've, I've always done that whole, I'm, I'm joining, and then, like this before, I'm like, actually, I'm going to bed. <laughs> and then today, I'm just like, no, I have to join. I haven't I haven't spoken to you guys for such a long time. <laughs> Remind our listeners where you're physically at? Um, in South Africa, in Durban, in South Africa. So it's now 8.36 at night for me wow. when we're doing an early show. So. <laughs> <laughs> and what have you been up to, Gordon? Uh, a little bit of everything. Um been playing around a lot with uh, almost locking myself out of VSTS accounts, uh, switching it, switching them over to AAD. Uh, that, that was great fun. Uh, playing around with more identity stuff from fr- the partners portal. Um, that's also yeah, it's yeah, strange. And been doing quite a bit of running and stuff lately. I've got a insane race coming up. The last year defeated me, so uh, this year I'm hoping to defeat it. It's going to be interesting. What kind? Of, what kind of race is that? Um, it's a marathon. Uh-huh. So it's at eight kilometers into the marathon. So I think that's probably like what four and a half miles ish, four five miles somewhere around there into the marathon. Um, starts basically an uphill for ten ten kilometers. <laughs> so, oh. and then you, then you hit eighteen. You have like a three k downhill, and then you have what's what people say is arguably one of the hardest twenty ones um, in our area. Um, so you know, you, you do a pretty insane first half and then you still have to run what's quite a hard 21 after that. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Like I said, last year it completely defeated me. Um, this year I have been, I've been training a lot harder for that now. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. I've still got like six weeks left of training. So it should be awesome. Well, hats up to you, man. I, I can't imagine <laughs> walking that long, let alone running that, <laughs> man. No, I get a bit stupid near the end of the year. Because um, I, I do that one, and then it's, I think it's a month later or two months later, a month later, I don't know, somewhere around there. Then I do another 42, and then two weeks later I do another 42, and then that's my running for the year done, and then I'll wait till next year. <laughs> and at the moment I'm trying to get a, a triathlon in for the day before the, the other marathon, one of the marathons. <laughs> oh, man. It's, just, it's a, a smaller one, though. It's a one-and-a-half-K swim. 40k cycle and I think it's a 10 run or 21 run or something like that. So we should see how it goes. Worst case, I'm just going to like be offline for longer than usual. (laughs) (laughs) And what about you, Josh? When are you running your marathon? Um, If you mean actually in my mind running, (laughs) then every day is is a marathon. But um, yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you, my friend. What have you been up to? (laughs) Oh, well... Let's see. So I'm putting a couple finishing touches on that book we mentioned last time. And uh, did I bring up VS Live? No, no, you didn't. I wanted to make sure I hit you up. I saw your uh, Facebook post on that. Yeah, so I'm, I am somehow honored to speak at VS Live in Chicago, uh, September the 19th. So the, the whole session is 18th through the 20th. And I've got two sessions on the 19th, which is really awesome. And... The, as my dad would say, pizza resistance <laughs> is, uh, I got accepted to speak at Ignite, which I'm still not really sure how I'm not crawling out and back into my skin again about that. <laughs> it's just nuts, but. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really psyched. So. What are your talks? Uh, well, one is, one is an old favorite, fault driven development. <laughs> and 
The talk, the second talk in Chicago is Core Azure Solutions for uh, Development Automation, and the one at Ignite is Core Azure Solutions uh, Ops Automation. Are these your first talks like, at a conference like that big? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also, nothing to be nervous about or anything, right? No, not at all. I mean, that's what rubber pants are for, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So well, congratulations on that, man. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that's it's slightly insane that <laughs> I had a small audience in, in Cape Town at the beginning of the year. And then it's like, yeah, well, sorry, it's, it's normally like about 60 people. And then there was like 200 people in a room. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of people. And I think you're going to have like a lot, lot more than that people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no stress, Josh. Just thousands of eyeballs looking at you. You know, that's okay. Yeah, it's all good. No stress. And and streaming all over the world. I mean, <laughs> no pressure. No pressure or anything. Right. Yeah. So rubber shirt <laughs> and pants, check. <laughs> well, you know, you're practicing right now because – you know, our shows get about a thousand listeners. So you're standing or sitting right now in front of, you know, a thousand people listening to us. Okay. Now I'm scared. Um. <laughs> <laughs> nice. when, when you said VS Live, I thought at first I thought you were talking about like the live share uh, feature in, in VS. And then, when, oh. and, then, and then I was like, oh, okay, that's not what you're talking about. But then when you mentioned that, I was like, oh, I saw this other really cool extension. And I scrolled down our, our notes for today and it's not in there. So I'm just going to mention it early. Um, I saw a post. Um, do you know that, um, that in Telecode? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Then the telecode extension. So that um, when you basically typing it, like pops in, um, in like your IntelliSense, it pops the methods that it thinks you're going to use based on the context that you're in to the top of the list, right? Right. Right. Um, which is super useful. But now, what I saw a post today. Um, do you know the editor config that you can obviously choose your um, like your uh, what's it, your standards for like a project? I saw that. I saw that post. Yeah, yeah. Keep yeah. going. That that is so cool because like now you can basically say like based off the project that I have, which is like a com- in complete shambles and there's no standards, like try to generate what you think the standards are and then I'll just go f- fix all the squigglies in the least amount of non-standard places kind of thing. But that's like really awesome because like I always, I'm like, oh, I want to add an editor config, but I mean, lots of our different projects have different standards based off the different times when they started. And you'd, I mean, obviously best uh, world you'd say, Cool. Switch all our standards to something, but like it's not feasible to do that with all your projects. But at least right. now you can say, well, for this project, generate what the what the standard seems to be in it. So at least per project, you can have like a set of standards. So at least makes that project more maintainable. And I love how there are there are source code artifact. You know, they're right there with the code, so everybody takes advantage yeah. of that. Yeah. Well, and we'll have the links in the show notes for everybody. I tried to find it, I couldn't find it. Gordon, you'll have to give me the the code, the link for that code. I'll grab it now. Cool. All right. Well, um, now that we've squirreled (laughs) (laughs) already, not even starting yet, but that's okay. It wouldn't be a show without going off the rails. Um, uh, now another thing kind of going off the rails, Rod, you know, a longtime listener, we talked about him in the past. And I, as a matter of fact, last time Martin was on, I gave Martin a hard time about this was the uh, fact that uh, teams in TFS was, has gone away. And that was a blocker for him to upgrade. And he was kind of pushing, look, for my level of, uh, I think he was a government user, they did not have any other substitutes. So they had to go to a competitor like Slack. 
And at that time, you know, I pushed and I pushed Martin and, and every time we've talked about this, we've pushed him say, Hey, you know what? Microsoft needs to release teams for free, just like they eventually uh, released OneNote for free. Well, the great news, Rod, is that just this week, I think it was just this week, right? Yeah, I saw it this week. I mean, unless it was late last week. Uh, the 12th is, is the, like the date that it happened. But Microsoft's finally releasing Teams for free, or at least a free version of. And they're kind of throwing the gauntlet down and, and one-upping Slack. Uh, there are some limits, but um, there's no 10,000 message limit. The data limits are higher. It's 10 gig versus the two gig for, um, per person for Slack. It, the free team supports group voice, video calling. Um, the application integrations are unrestricted. And of course, the tie-ins will all work to Word and Excel, PowerPoint and OneNote. Uh, the one limit, it, it is limited to 300 people. So Rob, you, have, you know, <laughs> you're looking for a Teams, uh, a TFS Teams replacement for more than 300 people. This won't work for you, but I, I'm guessing that, you know, this will work great. And we'll have links in the show notes to this. What do you guys think about free Teams? Yeah, it's awesome. Very, just to talk quickly about that limit of 300 people, it's the same as like with Office 365, where like you're limited to one terabyte of storage per person. You're like, yeah. So basically you're saying there's no cap, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> <come on. laughs> They had to pull a number out of the air, and that was the number, yep. Yeah, they, they basically just had to stop, like, big companies to switching completely onto the free tier. Exactly. Well, there is a weirdness that I was reading through it that if you – the account that you are using to log into it is an Office 365, it will light up for that account. So I, I haven't tried okay. it yet because we're, I use Office – for work, uh, teams for work. So trying to play with the different logins, I haven't physically tried it, but, uh, so there is smartness in dealing with different logins. Do you guys use teams at work? Yeah. 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 We do. And how much do you, I, I have to, I'm, yeah, totally going off the rails, you know, this week in radio, in, uh, Microsoft Teams, uh, <laughs> how much integration and stuff do you guys just use it for IMs? Do you, you know, for conversations, do you put files there? How deep, uh, Gordon, we'll start with you. Do you actually use Teams? So we, we try based quite a lot of stuff around it. So for example, the company itself is service based. So at the moment, I mean, we're working with lots of different ideas and ways to try to become like more efficient at a bunch of different things. Um, so one of the things we do, we're trialing out at the moment is uh, the idea that we have a, a team, which is basically a client repo kind of drop kind of thing. So per a job that comes in, we have, um, if there's artifacts that need, we basically create a channel in the team and any files around that, any comms around that we basically have in that channel. And then when the job's done, we basically just archive the channel itself. And then for, like my team, uh, we have probably a little bit more on our team than other guys. So we use the various different tabs to sort of iframe into things that are important for the team. So TFS queries that are important to look at or to monitor, we have as different uh, tabs, just so it's easy to get there. It's like, it's not like, cool, everyone have these sort of, um, bookmarks to get to places because it's not in our teams basically switch over to another tab grab some information switch back which works quite quite nicely josh how do you guys use teams so we've we've just started lighting it up uh for select teams in teams <laughs> with teams of teams <laughs> um, teaming with teams <laughs> so 
Uh, as I mentioned, I think a show or two ago, we've been doing a lot of these cloud workshops with different uh, business units in our in our organization. And a part of getting ready for that engagement with each line of business has been setting up a, a Teams instance for them so they have their own area to congregate, ask questions, and things like that. Uh, we've been doing everything from sharing files to uh, putting reports in there to uh, putting VSTS delivery plan views in there. Um, just today, as a matter of fact, I put in some Power BI reports uh, around consumption insights and security insights. So those two prepackaged report packs that, that you can get from Power BI mm -hmm. that allow you to, to get consumption stats and uh, Azure Security Center and Azure Advisor stats and have those displayed directly in a tab in the, in the general channel. So that way folks who are in there can go in and check it out and see, you know, do we have any security vulnerabilities? Are there any new recommendations? Um, is our spending all over the place or is it pretty, pretty standard? Um, stuff like that. So giving people kind of a one-stop shop to, to pick a lot of that information up. Yeah, we do somewhat. Do, uh, first of all, do either of you guys, have you written any bots or use any actual bots in teams? Mm -mm. No, I, it's one of those things that's on my list of stuff to do when I have free time and I'm still looking for that free time. <laughs> Good. I don't feel bad then because we don't use bots either. <laughs> Um, but we do the same thing like you, Josh, is that, you know, each of our major projects has its own team channel, mm -hmm. um, and, or its own team. And within that, we have different channels, the general channel. And what I've done is created a DevOps channel. And within that, in the different tabs, I put all of our DevOpsy stuff, uh, the, we've installed the VSTS integration into mm -hmm. it. So we highlight, you know, we expose it there. Uh, you know, we're using in some cases a third party, a uh, work item tracker version one. Well, there's a, we, each of our projects has its own team room in version one. And so that's on a tab there. Uh, as a matter of fact, our, in our developers overall group, there's a radio TFS tab there. Uh, nice. Yeah. Yes. So. Um, in that channel, we also use the SharePoint online. There's a team calendar where we put all of our sprints because we're running three different sprints simultaneously, but staggered. So everybody forgets, you know, what sprint ends when and where. So that's there. Um, and now listeners, if you guys have been hearing about this and thinking it's pretty cool and you haven't used teams, you can do it for free right now. Josh, let's, let's get some news in. Let's actually start <laughs> – let's get into doing some actual show stuff here. We're actually going to talk about relevant stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. We were just talking about very, relative, very, very relevant things. Um, so there's a few VSTS updates we can talk about. We could talk about X, um, Xbox. There's some games coming out of Xbox. <laughs> I'm poor, though. I don't have an Xbox. What? Yeah. Wow. We've got like yeah. 12. I've got that 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 knockoff, the Y rhombus. <laughs> no, no, I'm not surprised. Anyway, anyway, sorry about that. Horrible jokes aside. Yeah. Uh, so VSTS sprints 136 and 137 um, hitting the airwaves. 136 was was the uh, sprint release where the new navigation started to appear. Right. This this pretty um, left nav to to right action. Navigation experience, new work hubs, um, the the new build results page, 
if you've not seen that, I, I think that looks pretty sharp as well. Kind of gives you a nice succinct view of everything that's going on with a specific build. Uh, with 137, there's a bunch of stuff. And uh, a couple of highlights there would be fully Microsoft-hosted Linux and Mac OS build agents. Hooray. Um, stuff like uh, DevOps projects now generally available. So there's that integration with Azure DevOps projects. Uh, you can hold deployments and release management until gates are consistently succeeding. So if you've got some flaky things going on in there, um, you can you can set specifics around when to actually release those deployments. Um, some things around package management. And this one, so this one is, is kind of a, a back office thing, but I think it's really cool. Uh, connect or disconnect Azure Active Directory as a project collection admin. I can think of a few cases where we set up DSTS instances at, at our place and people either didn't set them up with the appropriate linking or needed to switch things around. And that would have been extremely helpful to have that. So I think that's pretty cool. Have you guys turned on uh, the new nav? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In every single freaking project. The other day. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll talk a bit about it just now yeah. as well. But, yeah, uh, I went to every single project and then switched on the new nav. And then because it shows all the projects down the side, I was like, oh, I should stop being lazy and using the same account for everything. So I went and made, like, new MSAs to split my different groupings of accounts separate. Like, also, I mean... If I'm at a conference, I leave my machine unlocked. I don't want people just to be able to get into our company VSTS account. Um, so I went and split that out and then joined to two different, like a bunch of accounts to one AAD group and a bunch of accounts to another AAD group. Like I had so much fun. <laughs> Matter of fact, you did a post on turning on this thing, right? Yeah. So, and that's why I ended up doing it. Um, because lots, lots of people don't know that, like, I mean, it was specifically, it was showing the, how to switch on the specific nav feature because, I mean, lots of guys are like, hey, that looks different. Like, what product are you using? I'm like, oh, it's VSTS. They're like, no, but this is what my VSTS looks like. I'm like, well, you can make your VSTS not look like that. And they're like, how? I'm like, the preview uh, flags. And they're like, what do you mean the preview flags? I'm like, oh, boy. I'm like, I, like, I have to show you this. <laughs> and I thought, well, I mean, there might be other people that also need to know about uh, preview flags. So, yeah, I decided to put in a post. Cool. Have either one of you turned it on at the account level or just individually? Oh, no, I turn everything on at the account level. If everyone wants to complain about it, they, we can talk later, but then I'll explain to them why they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, ditto. I'm in the same boat. Really? Wow. See, I'm too uh, – well, I guess maybe we're too, just too new to VSTS. I, I uh, let everybody know. As a matter of fact, we have a DevOps team. Uh, where I've signed up all of my licensed users and I send notifications uh, to that team about all the updates and stuff and how to turn previews on. But um, yeah, turning it on account level, I've tried to be careful with that. And you, you see, I, I, I actually need to check if there's been any replies. So I mailed the, the product group and I was like, is there any APIs for this? Because I want to build a service where someone can bring their pet token to the service and basically then the service just pings like when it is when it knows that there's new preview features, it just goes and turns them on for people at the account level for them. <laughs> so I don't even have to log in and do it. So, so I want to build that service because it's just better. Like if, if then you log in in the morning and, and it's saying totally different about you log in and stuff's different. You feel like it's Christmas, like a deployment's happened versus log in and like what preview features. It's just like two clicks extra that I want to do before I get my presents kind of thing. <laughs> it's um, back to Josh and the news. I, I want to, I do want to talk to you. Either one of you have or use Linux or Mac OS 
agents or hosts? Not at work, no. Uh, we have Mac, um, but that's on-prem. We, we've got Mac agents. Uh, nothing hosted at the moment. I was actually going to ask you, uh, Josh, when you're talking about like the new build stuff, and just remind me, you had all those Franken builds and stuff. Have you done any more? That's I know we're squirreling again, but like, have you done anything weird in the build world lately? Not lately. No, no. I've been uh, like you. I've been kind of searching for that that vagabond known as free time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I still have I still have the the lab participants around. So I haven't gotten rid of any of the hardware because. You never really get rid of hardware, right? Um, same with the boxes of cables and everything else I have. But uh, you'll need those cables one day. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm you never a, know when an RS-232 cable is going to come in handy. <laughs> I've got a bunch of cables lying around here that it's like I don't even know what some of the, the, the endpoints are for them. I was like, I've never seen this before, but I could need it. <laughs> like, once someone says, I need this really obscure like plug, I'm like, I've got one of those. <laughs> it's like... I'll be back. I'll let me go home quickly. Oh my god, that's funny. Yeah, well, I'm sure I've got some <laughs> parallel printer cables at home. You know. I still have some old old parallel cables and SCSI cables and stuff like that hanging around. And a box of hard drives that I'm afraid to get rid of. Oh, that too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Josh. There was some other news that we we totally cut you off from. Yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> 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 nah, all good fun. So let's see. We've got a couple more things in the VSTS realm. One is from Paris Morgan, and this is about uh, VSTS stakeholders. And this is something that I've personally experienced the pain with trying to to get people like uh, oh scrum masters and product owners and stuff like that in there without actually giving them access to things like source code because that's terrifying. <laughs> at least for me. Um, Recent change that that went into effect and should be taking place any day now, if it hasn't already, is giving stakeholders the ability to do certain administrative functions within VSTS, which is a huge help. So now they can create new projects and new teams. They can edit account project and team information. They can add users. That's that's really helpful. Uh, managing permissions of the users and groups on the security pages and manage settings on all the settings pages, so any of the work, notifications, services, release retention, all that good stuff, and um, a full CRUD array, array for dashboards. So create, add, update, delete, and manage. Uh, that's that's some big stuff, I think, and that's, that's really helping uh, folks get in there and help their teams be more productive, which is nice. And remind our uh, listeners, how much does stakeholder cost? That would be zero dollars and zero cents, any currency. <laughs> Build monthly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you're saying that a zero cost individual can be added to a project and have that project administrator play that role without costing anything. That is correct. That's pretty awesome. That is pretty sweet, yeah. Speaking of sweet, Dan Helm posted... Uh, something that I think a lot of people will find very interesting, which is moving from hosted XML to inheritance process, which is um, kind of uh, kind of interesting because for folks who actually moved from TFS to VSTS mm-hmm. and had a bunch of customizations, like uh, certain lines of business I know, <laughs> uh, they put you in hosted XML because the the translation between the XML uh, process templates and the new streamlined vanilla inheritance templates is fairly significant when you have that many changes. And uh, Dan has announced that there's a private preview for moving 
posted XML to the inheritance process, which would save a ton of effort in mapping work item fields, custom work items, um, custom processes, any of that stuff. So that's uh, in Private Preview. You can email vstspriviewpreview at microsoft.com if you're interested. And uh, there's a whole post to link in the show notes on what all is involved with that. So it looks to be pretty cool. Awesome. Anything else new? One last thing, as far as I can tell, uh, dashboard updates are in public preview. So you can uh, easily switch between team dashboards. You can fine-tune the permissions around those individual dashboards and find and favorite the dashboards you need. So it's more of like a drop-down and, you know, the, the traditional you know, hit hit the star next to the name and, it beca- you know, it gets added to your favorites type of thing. So it makes it a little bit easier to, to find and remember where the content is. For, for your dashboards. Yeah. You know what I got, why I got excited about this one? Cause this is the, you know, one project rules them all kind of thing. And you have multiple, many teams in the same VSTS project or yeah, even the project level and having, mm-hmm. you know, you want to have different dashboards cause they have, you know, I create uh build and release dashboards for each one of the projects. So we can have one up screen to see the health and of the projects and everything, but you want to have multiple of those four projects and finding them before what was tougher. This one will make it much easier and allow you to lock them down. That's exactly. Cool. Exactly. All righty. Oh. So uh, Gordon, talk to us about universal packages. Yeah. So universal packages are quite cool. Um, Basically, there's there's lots of times that obviously we use like um, when you're doing development, you'd use your NuGet packages and stuff, where you're basically versioning specific uh, specific uh, code or packages uh, so that you know like okay, we use this version, we know our stuff works with that version. Um, but then sometimes there's sort of these almost ad hoc binaries um, that you also want to have versioned. Um, I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's just there's this file. We use these files for something or other, um, where there's some dependency on a server. Um, uh, sometimes, I mean, where I can think this would be quite useful is we have a, a bunch of third-party assemblies, which we um, we loosely version um, by putting it actually in TFVC at the moment, and we, we pull out the file at a specific uh, TFVC sort of. Um, change set mm-hmm. and and that's our way of sort of versioning stuff but we it's obviously it's hard to manage because yeah it's it's complicated so basically universal packages allow you to take all these large binaries and effectively version them um, where VSTS handles all the anything all the any complex bits um, and you just reference it as a normal feed basically um, so that's pretty cool um, and then I'm, I always don't do names. I'm bad at names and stuff. So I'm just going to carry on being that guy that doesn't butcher names on Radio TFS. It's a Chaminda. <laughs> That's, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name, but Chaminda. <laughs> yeah, so it's, <laughs> yeah. So, so Chaminda uh, has an article here um, using, um, using Octopus, but integrating into the VSCS uh, package feeds. So, I mean, I used to use Octopus Deploy at the old company I worked. It's, it's a brilliant tool. Um, it works obviously very differently to the way um, TFS works. And Damien, Damien Brady, um, he used to work at Octopus before joining um, I didn't know Microsoft. That. Yeah, so, um, so he, I think it was two summits ago, he had a, a Channel 9 uh, video uh, talking with uh, Donovan Brown about like how you can use sort of Octopus and um, 
I'm, I'm squirreling again. I do that all the time. Damn it. Um, but basically he had a, a thing on like how you can use Octopus and release management together to do, to like build like better, uh, like a better ecosystem kind of thing. But now that I unsquirreled, um, this, this post basically just talks about, um, how you can take Octopus and integrate that into, um, the VSCS package feed, because basically Octopus works off taking uh, packages. So you put packages into the feed and then you basically deploy that same package to each environment. And when you deploy the package, the package has, um, sort of your uh, PowerShell instructions, for example, in it that you could run like on each, on each um, environment with different config. Cool. But, yeah. yeah. What's nice about this post is it actually walks you through the steps, including generating oh, yeah. it's the super super detailed. Yeah, yeah, generating that personal access token. You know, I you see that I see that reference all the time. Oh, just take your pat uh, pat personal access token and put it here. It's like, well, how do you generate that? They talk about yeah, this post. It's nice. And, and everyone always just says, just take your pet. Like, and he's just say, Hey, here's a pet. It's a personal access token. He has a link to tell you what that is. <laughs> like everyone's just like, just take the pet, man. Like it's common knowledge. It's what we do. Turn on the light. No one's going to tell you how to turn on the light. You just do it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, testing. What's, what's changing with testing, Josh, or at least testing extensions and adapters? Well, our friend, your friend and mine, Tersh Sandstrom as a post out there, talking about the V6-based test adapters that are being deprecated. So um, used to be test adapters would come in, in two flavors. One would be through your NuGet installation, so you'd add a reference to NUnit or XUnit or YUnit or GUnit or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then there was the, the, the V6 version of that as well, which was more of a Visual Studio installation. And uh, for, for build servers, you could actually specify whether the test adapters were um, using that, that V6 packaging. And you know, during the course of a build, it would actually look for that V6 and you know, rip out the applicable parts and run the, run the testing stuff. That will be no more. They are doing away with the V6-based test adapters. So um, the, the main driver behind that is to speed up the actual execution of testing. And uh, moving forward, it will just be uh, NuGet packages. So Define going away. Uh, it's not going to be used. So it's being depreciated, but not truly nuked. There's, there's, a, there's exactly. fallback options, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Good. So, so, every- so it gives you the option to opt out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'll still be there, but the, the idea is that, you know, there's a very strong push to say, let's not use that. Okay. So you get the performance gains. Yeah, I mean, besides the performance gains, there's like you have a team of guys that have been working with stuff forever. They all have the, the extension installed. And you get a new guy on the team and he has to install 34 <laughs> different extensions because mm-hmm. nothing works. Exactly. And yeah. then you say, cool, let's like you take a, you take an old company that you go work for and you say, cool, let's, we're going to start using TFS and we're going to push everything through the pipelines and stuff. And you're like, crap, I need to get your, your tests working. It's like, but, just install the stuff. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you, guys need to, you need to understand what's happening here. Like, it becomes such a mission, at least like now. I mean, you bring it into a NuGet package, when it builds on the build server, it comes into a NuGet package. Like, everything you need is always there. Like, it's, it's just, it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. We used to, you remember the suggested extensions extension? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that meta extension from Matt Christensen. Yeah. Um, Loved it because I would use that to to set a baseline for for V6 packages to be installed. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I had so many V6s installed at one stage. And then, like, I think it just made Visual Studio slow. Like, at, at one point, I made a, a Visual Studio extension to change my Skype for business, um, what's it, like, uh, presence. And I was like, because I don't feel like I this Skype for business to change my presence. It's like if people start messaging me, I can just then put a key binding and say, I'm now offline. You can't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> it gets addictive. <laughs> so uh, what version of uh, Visual Studio is this coming in? Oh, man, that is Visual Studio 2017 update 15.8. So that is the newest uh, preview, so preview 4. All right. So, yeah, uh, 15.8, the whole thing is still in preview, right? I mean. Right. Yep. You got it. Cool. So, again, listeners, don't freak out. You can opt out, but really – you'll like this as you've been hearing everybody say this. And, and I have the same problems that you guys have with, you know, one team wanting to, you know, building out the build servers, adding new developers, installing all that crap. You know, the NuGet based approach is just so much easier. Um, So where are we in the news? Okay. Here's, I picked this story, put myself on it purposely because I ran into this exact same problem and it pissed me off. Um <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> what we were, I was doing this actually for, um, uh, pre-approvals for our QA team. And, uh, you know, we have an email distribution group for our QA team and we want a pre-approval. So developers or who's ever doing the releases don't push it to QA without their notification on it. And I put this distribution group into the pre-approval email list and the uh, approvals never came. And they never came. And I'm like scratching my head. Why doesn't this work? Okay, forget it. Forget it. I'm putting in individual names in there. And for each one of our releases with that group, I put individual names on there. And then I see Asim's post here. And he, he basically, the top line should have said, Greg, you're an idiot. No, um, and it goes through the steps on are you, the title of the post is, are you not receiving release notifications for a group? He talks you through the notifications using the um, old navigation UI and how to actually turn that on. There's actually, there's a setting that by default is do not deliver to groups. Well, yeah, yeah you need to turn that off or turn it on to do that Boolean. Does that, you guys look at that Boolean. All right. We're looking at the screenshot here of the notifications tabs on the settings. And yeah. it says <laughs> default delivery that. option for groups in this project collection can be set for individual groups and delivery settings. And it's to the left and it says do not deliver. So yeah, you're like, do you switch it on to do not deliver or the do not deliver currently? <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, that's why I left it alone. I saw that and it's like, I don't know what this Boolean says. So, but uh, Asim's post talks about that. He goes into the details and there's an additional step that he talks about on that do not deliver, which uses radio buttons, which is so much nicer. Um, so if you're running into that problems, if you're running into group notification, email issues, uh, check out the post. The links will be in the show notes. Whenever I hit random things like that, I just turn to writing code. <laughs> if stuff's too hard to do, I have a console app and the console had hit. App hits the API and just does, oh, these are the list of people you want to do stuff with. Thanks. I'll just send them there. <laughs> Any one of those guys approve? Thank you. Nice. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, our next task, this is like one of my favorite features in um, builds and releases. So it's um, conditional 
uh, basically it's the conditional. So like at the bottom of your, your build sauce, for example, when you add that uh, in, you can go there and you can write this uh, little like snippets of code, which will conditionally run that step. So for example, what we currently use it for is we have a, our sort of branching strategy at the moment says that only things that are under a like release folder, do we actually want to send out? Um, so what we do is we, we set up conditional, uh, con- conditional statements that basically say like only if something's in being built in the sort of release, uh, config, um, like build configuration and it's under the sort of release folder, do we actually uh, publish the packages? So we, we build every single time someone checks in, um, no matter what branch it is, because obviously we want it, we want to get that quick feedback that you've broken the code. Um, but to stop guys, I mean, it happens sometimes where guys aren't uh, thinking and they, they click release on a, or they release from the releases side mm-hmm. and they, they choose a build that's not a right build. And then it's like, Hey, can't find this package in the packages folder. And it's like, yeah, you being a dumbass, you're releasing off, <laughs> like the wrong, the wrong set of folders. Um, so it's like in that way, it's also saved us a bit because like only stuff that's actually in the right place where the PRs have happened and like, where we're actually checking properly for that sort of production quality. Um, are we actually releasing now to production, which is quite nice. And I mean, the, the statements themselves are like quite easy to like visually read, um, which is also quite nice because sometimes you have these kinds of things very complicated. So being totally selfish here, if I have a release that runs, uh, you know, command line utility to populate a SQL table and one out of 100 times that fails and the SQL table ends up being empty. I could write a quick PowerShell task that to check the count of rows in that table and then conditionally using that results, if results equal zero, I could rerun that command line utility. Yeah. So the way, the way you would generally do that is you'd have uh, a step potentially either as part of your previous step or uh, like a new step after your, your other ones run. Right. Where you have like a, a PowerShell script that will Yep. We'll run and get uh, get that uh, value for you, and then you mm-hmm. pop that into a variable, and then in this variable's um, condition, you can then check the state of that variable. That's awesome. All right, cool. So, Oscar, are you, if you're, you're listening, we're going to do this for that project. We'll, we won't talk about that. Sometimes fails <laughs> one in a hundred times. Uh, you, also, you also have some of those, huh? Yeah, yeah unfortunately. And they always, Greg, the, this thing is empty. It's like, just check in. We haven't actually set up a CICD. They check in a file in you know, a, a, a certain TFEC repo. We do a bunch of stuff. We package it up. And then we release it to a whole bunch of different places. And you know, the, it, one out of 100 times, one of those places will fail. So we just tell them, you know what? Just check in another file, and it'll automatically fix itself. But that's still yeah. lame. We, we have some of those where it's like, it breaks, Gordon, it's broken, we need help. I'm like, have you run it again? They're like, yes, have you run it a third time? Because like, if you haven't run things three times and it's still break, like, only call me when it's broken the third time because then I know it's actually broken and it's like not something else. Although it's, it's generally like, run it, it breaks, okay, run it again. Okay, that didn't work. Restart something. Like, I don't care what you restart, just restart something so that something's restarted and then run it a third time. Like, if it still breaks after that, then call me. <laughs> uh, or there's the invariable. Uh, did you rerun it? No. Did you read the logs? No. Yeah. Like, well. well, well that, that that happens often. Like I was saying, where the guys released to the wrong off the wrong branch, mm. they're like, 
the the builds the, the release is failing. I'm like, have you rerun it? They're like, yes. Have, have you rerun it again? And they're like, yes, they've done that. And I go look there, and it's like, well, have, did you read the logs? They're like, no. You said rerun it. I'm like, damn it. The logs specifically say like the file you're trying to deploy is missing. I was like, that's an obvious indication <laughs> yeah. that something is missing. <laughs> <laughs> Hacking up along there. All right, so we got we got two more posts from Chiminda. Josh, you got the first one, I think. Yeah, yeah. So building and deploying Windows services with VSTS and TFS, and this post goes through the nitty gritty of setting up Windows services for deployment using the wonderful world of release management. So not only doing um, XML transforms, but also token replacement. goes into some detail on a, a pretty nifty Windows Services Toolbox extension that you can download from the marketplace. And I'm probably going to butcher this company's name, so apologies in advance, but it looks like Yungarius IT is the name of the organization publishing this extension. There is a link in the article to the extension itself, so you can go check that out at your leisure. But a nice, nice post that walks through, you know, Admin account obfuscation, uh, password obfuscation, so putting it into you know, protected variables and good stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, all around good stuff. Chiminda's got a got a a firm grasp on on this week's episode. So. <laughs> yeah, he does. And this is agent less based, right? You don't have to have an agent installed on the machine running the service. Correct. That's nice. And oh, that, the, that's pretty cool. And the transform. You know, if if you guys are doing, you know app config type transforms and stuff. Even read this article for that because there's a nice series of steps. In pre-show, we were talking about some of our transform fun that, that we do. But uh, yeah, this that's a nice even tutorial just in that. Yeah, that, that, that's the part I'm busy reading right now, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the other post from Tremendous is mine. And it goes with the, the, you know, same thing. One project, one team project rules them all and releases. You guys heard me whine about the new release view. And, um, Sean Ferguson gave me kind of a hard time about it. And he said, you know, I'm kind of, you know, Greg, you're an idiot. You should love this thing. And now that I've been using it, I kind of love it. But the key with it, and you turn this on individually via the preview features that, um, Gordon was just talking about click on your profile, go to preview features, and you can see the new releases hub and you turn that on and uh, you'll get this new view. And the best thing about it is you can get folders and you can apply security to those folders. Uh-huh. And, th- and that is the key that makes this thing really shine. You know, you yeah. Can, yeah, you can definitely that, set that, it up. Go ahead, Gordon. No, I was just going to say that long list of releases is getting so painful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A- a- at summits, I was like, Ravi, man, I need folders. He's like, what do you mean? Folders are there. I'm like, Ravi, I don't have folders on TFS yet. <laughs> He's like, okay, you'll just wait a bit more. I'm like, damn no, it. <laughs> <laughs> and that is true. I, I, you know, I, I'm sorry. As, as Since I am in a VSTS world, my, my focus is a lot on VSTS. It is only on VSTS at this point. Um, and Gordon, you're saying this is definitely in the next version of TFS? Oh uh, no, I don't know if it's definitely in. I just, I just know that generally when stuff lights up, if we're far away from a release, we mm-hmm. normally get it. Cause I think the next version is a bug fix release. So I don't think we'll get this in the next one. Correct. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming pot- potentially for the next, I mean, the next major one, it should definitely be in there. 
Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I focus a lot on VSCS and then, because I mean, it doesn't make, I mean, I was just thinking about it, like, it doesn't make sense to focus only on TFS because that world is just static for three months at a time. And then when, when I, when it gets to that world, it's like, I don't like it. It's like, well, you could have affected it when it was in VSCS. Like, <laughs> so, so do as much as I can in VSCS. Um, we have sort of our, our R&D team works purely out of VSCS. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so the, the rest of the company is at the moment on TFS. We are busy doing some weird stuff on getting sort of our AD, uh, off on-prem at the moment. So we, we do, we have it in Office 365, but it does like an AD sync type thing out of on-prem. So we, some guys are helping us migrate, um, that into Azure. So it uses Azure AD and it uses some, I can't remember the services, but there's some service in Azure, which basically makes, uh, sort of, we call them legacy systems, think that they're connected to a domain controller, but they're actually connected to this Azure service, which is just sort of a proxy onto um, Azure AD. So as soon as that's all sorted and like our AD controllers are off on-prem, um, then we're going to focus on getting into VSCS. So and we should be sometime this year or early next year, we'll be in VSCS and then my life can be amazing <laughs> all the time, not only some of the time. <laughs> Yeah, and speaking of the next version of TFS, uh, it, it it has been announced that it's TFS 2019. The release date I don't want to talk about right now because uh, I think it's in flux. Uh, and that release, one of the reasons why it's in flux is because they want the new nav to really, really work for TFS 2019. So you on-prem guys and they're looking, thinking about upgrading, you're talking about the new nav and you see the links in the pictures, it's coming to you and the team wants to make sure it's really, really right because of that three-month at least period that Gordon was just mentioning. So and, and that may push back 20, TFS 2019 release date. You know, it, it all depends. They, they want to do it and they want to do it right. So I think that's the, the, the writer answer. What do you guys think? Yeah, well, I mean, a couple of weeks ago before um, Buck mailed us, I mailed him a private mail and I was like, Buck, um, if you don't decide to sh- uh, ship the new nav, can you at least leave the uh, feature flag in there and then like unsupportedly let me switch it on? <laughs> like, no, no, I, just, I want the new nav. I don't care what state it's in. Like, the new nav is amazing. <laughs> All right, we're running a little bit long. Let's go. Uh, let's go a little quick. Um, we're talking about a lot of DevOps, and I think the next set of stories are for you, Josh, and their DevOps in the database world. Right? That is correct. We've got a uh, three prime cuts here: one from John Riley, one from our friend, my friend and yours, Ben Day, and Christian Melendez. So. The first two deal with doing uh, entity framework core migrations. So first one from John Riley is about doing those EF core migrations via VSTS. And uh, Ben goes into some detail on how to actually get core migrations to work from a DLL. So actually going into the DLL and executing things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Some pretty interesting stuff. Um, The first article, John's article, has some, some pretty interesting uh, code examples on how you can set up the uh, sample projects and things like that to get them to actually generate uh, those migrations. And uh, you can also use, with, with Ben's example, he uses uh, one option, which is a TFS VSTS extension, which gives you the ability to deploy entity framework core migrations. Pretty cool. 
Or you can also use a batch script that, that Ben's written that will give you a leg up on the competition there. Uh, the DevOps for databases thing. Now, this is a huge topic and something that I think, you know, even though it's gaining more momentum, it deserves to get a lot more momentum. Mm-hmm. So as the snowball rolls down the hill, we should be rolling larger snowballs after it, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really, really important. And uh, in this in this last article, go through and, and talk about not only making the case for it, but, you know, automation is just part of it. You really need to, to look at the overall pipeline and what the changes are that you want to affect and, and um, you know, what are the ramifications of those changes. A lot of times, you know, even with manual SQL runs where you've got manual scripts running during a release, you know, if you're dropping a column or you're adding a column or you're changing a null, the nullability on a column, um, it can really jack things up if you're not prepping the data appropriately. So, you know, a lot of these things have to be taken into consideration. And uh, our friend, Christian Melendez, outlines those changes. I, I have to ask, again, we're going to go off the rails and go longer, but uh, uh, do you guys do entity framework migrations of any kind? Do you Is that in your DevOps pipeline or any of your developers? Yeah, so uh, we do it... Um... Anything that's sort of our tools or our frameworks. Uh-huh. Um, so those we do entity framework just because it's easier from a include a package, use this when it sort of fires up for the first time and says, okay, run my migrations. Um, but generally for our main project stuff, we use uh, database projects. Josh? Not so much. Uh, I'll, at least the, the team that I used to be on, a lot of those database uh, utilities were home rolled and uh, specifically tailored to the development cycle that we had. So there would be a utility that you could go in and generate a migration script as soon as you were going to make a change to a database versus just changing the, the entity itself and having those migrations generated. Uh, some teams, you know, as recently as, you know, a few months ago, had started to get into that world where running EF migrations was the way to go. And um, there are some of those as well, but there's still some, some old school, uh, SQL gen type of things hanging around there too. Yeah. You know, entity migrations just, I'm, I'm too old school to be comfortable with them. You know, I, I, we, we, we are heavily invested in database projects and, and we use them throughout our release pipelines. Uh, yeah, entity migrations. I don't know. Again, maybe I'm just old, but those just, just seem, I don't know, weird. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's weird at first. And it, I mean, it, the problem is it, it takes a team a while to get used to that way of working. Um, and also another problem with it is that like when teams start using that, they, they think like they start using everything as C sharp and you can write some, like it's very easy to write very inefficient, um, link queries. And if you write the inefficient link query, you're doing very stupid things against the database. Like we had one case where, but there's so there's code copied from somewhere that needed an as enumerable on a table, but it was a small table, and then it does a select on that so that it could do some C sharp magic. Obviously, it needed the data on the server to be able to do that. It couldn't uh, convert that to a link query. Um, the same code was then copied into another place where it was a huge table, and there didn't need to be an as enumerable, and therefore we end up pulling like a couple hundred thousand rows out of the database, run a where clause on it. And then do a select on that. And we're like, cool, we're picking out like two rows of these couple hundred thousand records. So I mean, saying that end up taking, I think in total, it was like a couple milliseconds to run. It was taking like minutes to run. Um, so like, it's, it's just, I mean, cause they see it, oh, it's in C sharp. Like it, 
and then your brain works differently like that. I don't, I don't think, especially the newer generation of developers, they're not able to, well, at least in my opinion, like they're not able to do that, the context switch of, okay, I'm writing in C Sharp, but this is still SQL. Like it's just a, a tool that's helping me figure out what that SQL is. Um, whereas like if you're doing stuff in SQL with procs and stuff like that, it, it has that proper separation and you, you're putting that different hats on and you are doing things differently, uh, which I think is quite helpful. Yeah, I've always kind of operated on the, the general rule, and I know weird that I'm a little opinionated on something, but um, the 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 actions that you're doing in, in Link, if they're singular, so if you're retrieving entities or retrieving like a, a generic set of entities where you're not doing like 220,000 rows in memory and then, you know, doing your, your, your where statement and then or your where clause and then returning two rows, um, or adding, you know, a singular entity or, you know, singular operations like that, it's generally not a big deal. If you have to get into anything else, you should be looking at stored procedures, or, you know, and, and yeah. what the model is of, of the data that you really need to work with and then tailoring that that Sprock output to match that. I mean, and that's also where, like, having your, your dev and test environments as close to production as possible helps so much. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Because because a large query on three records is is not a large <laughs> query. Like no. The production weighs a couple of million records. The guy's like, but it was fast on my machine. It's like, yeah, but you've got like four records there, man. Like anything is going to be fast. Like you, you can like do a thread sleep between every row, and it's still going to be fast. Right. All right. So again, we're running out of time. Let's do Gordon. How about you do? You do the next one, Josh. You got a couple, and then Gordon, you do the last one, and I'll handle the feedback. How's that? How's that sound? Yes, that's cool. So yeah, so the the first one that I've got here is um, uh, oh man, that's her name. It's Peter P Ga yeah, It's Gage with the H with the H. So H, I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry, Peter. <laughs> um, <laughs> H to the H. <laughs> yeah. So he basically talks about saying that's that's pretty cool, and I mean. Writing so many PowerShell uh, scripts for both build and release, I also like didn't figure out for quite a while. Um, but you're able to. So generally, you basically just do in your task, you do like a write host or whatever it is, like, and you write a whole bunch of debug uh, messages out, right? Um, so what his post is is he's showing you how you can sort of write write your logs at different levels. So if you want to show a warning, instead of what what I used to do is capital letters warning, so it sort of stands out in the log. Um, instead of doing that, you can actually write your log um, with sort of a prefix, and then uh, VSCS will see that as a specific command. So it'll say, okay, this is a warning, or this is an error, um, or this is a debug um, statement, and it will um, highlight it appropriately in your log for you. And then also based off that, like if something is a if something is a warning or an error, it will put it onto sort of that issues window for you in the summary as well, which is quite handy. Yeah, I love this. Because uh, some of those, how can you ever find hash, 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 hash VSO, bracket, task, dot, set, variable, variable equals? Yeah, those are yeah, it, it just plus. Yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, there's, the thing is like, and it's because, I mean, the product team works so fast. Like, if you, like, you can focus on build and you'll know all this stuff. If you're trying to focus a little bit more broadly than that, like, you're going to miss so many things. All right. Now, Gordon. Gordon. Yeah. Gordon. Yeah, we were just talking, Gordon. Josh, Mr. Garverick. So mm -hmm. how can you know, DevOps, 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 it's the 
the ops part that's kind of weird. Is there any suggestions on how developers can can get the ops team together? On you know, we can all sing kumbaya and live happily ever after. Yes. There are. There's even some. There's even some sheet music and, and tabs for the adventurous. <laughs> so there's there's a post out there from Andrew Oliver on how developers can get the apps team on their side. And um, once you gain free access to InfoWorld, you can read the whole article. <laughs> uh, however, <laughs> there are there are a few different um, items in in there, and uh, a lot of it's you know following agreed upon standards and, and looking at best practices for information capture and for for monitoring. It's really it's really geared to get the developers thinking in the mindset of okay, well I'm building this thing. Um, what would happen if somebody called me at two in the morning because this thing doesn't work? What would I want to know? What would I need to know in order to help troubleshoot it and fix it? So um, that's that's the uh, the big sweeping generalization of, of my sum- summation of this article. Um, I think that one it cannot be overstated. We, when we've been talking in DevOps on the show for forever on it, and it's not just release, mm-hmm. it's not just deployment. It's what happens after deployment, and if you can. Build that into your code from when you start the development, you think about the operations. You know, you are going to get people to love you because you say, oh, go to this page or look at this value or or look at this log. If you're thinking about how will it be supported, you know, I think you're going to get the the ops side on your side. Absolutely. Things is, is, is innocuous as a status page on an endpoint. For example, I mean, doing a quick smoke test on functionality, not only does it serve as a great way for operations to be able to see if things are functioning properly, but then you can also use that as a as a release gate and release management. You know, and as soon as you do your deployment, have it hit that endpoint. If it if everything's good, then good to go. If not, then uh, better try again. So, yeah, I love that. Open. Something that. Go ahead, Gordon. Keep going. No, I was just going to say, like, we're saying along those lines, I'm busy grabbing a bunch of links here for us to include in the show notes. Um, but with that whole sort of getting ops on your side with, with developers really thinking, um, along the lines of what would I want to do? If, like, what would I, what information would I want to see if I get woken up at two o'clock in the morning? Um, a couple of years ago, I watched, um, some Microsoft engineering stories on the, the Bing's, um, sort of switch, uh, to continuous delivery and whatnot. And and in there, the they had like one of their senior devs and one of their their ops guys talking, and like he, the guy basically says like, well, they, they talk about sort of had their transformation and how they got to where they are now, and I mean it, it's really interesting because there they also talk about the guys like, well, so basically they put us on support for a little while, and then when we got woken up. With, at like two in the morning and we had no information and really made us rethink what, how we log information. Cause, cause now it doesn't turn into like something broke. It's like something broke. Here's a key. This is why I think it could break. Like you put this whole long like story into the logs. Like because it's, and he says like it's not saying that you, um, like developers aren't selfishly not doing that. It's just their mind doesn't think this is what I would need if I'm in this situation, mm-hmm. um, which is quite interesting. Yeah, and I mean the the next article too is you know shifting to DevOps leads to more troubleshooting, which um, kind of plays on on what you were just talking about the the mindset shift that you have to go through, and a lot of folks don't necessarily have that right off the bat. And, you know, you, you get excited about being able to release as fast as humanly possible. And 
you don't really think about the monitoring aspect or the sustainability or operability aspects of it. And um, as a result, you end up having to troubleshoot more because um, you, you don't have that information readily available. Yeah. I mean, it's great to have a thousand microservices and have them all independent and have them all working and stuff and, and being able to deploy to production 27 times a day uh, until something breaks. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, I mean, the last story we have here and that we've scrolled like tremendously, we're probably going to be like next show, Gordon, actually we're not doing this show. And then I see on Twitter, Hey, there's the next version of Radio TFS where we didn't squirrel. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the last thing here is something that I look forward to every week is seeing what the, the top stories are. So, um, out on the DevOps blog every week, they post a, a couple of articles, sort of an aggregated um, view of stuff that's happened in the week. Uh, this week, uh, two of the things in there that um that obviously are really well, there's a couple of things there, but like so, for example, the one thing is um, supercharging the Git the Git commit graph. So we spoke before about uh, the sort of the problems that Microsoft have, like with the size of the Windows repo. Um, being like the biggest Git repo on earth. Um, and one of, one of the things they talk about in the article is imagine you have a file that had three commits to it in the millions of commits that, that's in that repo. Um, and you want to see the history of that. Like, how's that going to work? Um, so basically Microsoft's, um, in, in, a, in making Git work for Windows, they've found, they've basically made a new algorithm for I think it's called traversing the, the Git graph or something like that. Um, and they've, if I'm not mistaken, uh, committed that back into the sort of the open source, um, Git project so that everyone else can benefit from those same benefits. Um, so it's not, they're not just making, thinking about themselves with making VSTS better, um, but really giving back to the community and making Git better for everybody. Um, and obviously they talk about the new nav in there and then things that, I always like is research type stuff. So the seven pace guys have published an article um, of how you can use how software developers can use science to manage their time better, um, which, which is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple of others there, but yeah, I'll, I'll leave I'll leave those for the listeners to go read. <laughs> because otherwise, we're just going to be as me two hours in, and the guys like I thought this was a short film, and now we're watching a movie. Nice. So time for the feedback. And we've actually got a, a number of feedback items. Uh, Justin Miller left a post on our uh, the last show on the Facebook page. And he was asking, remember Sean Ferguson? And we talked about the work item autosave and, and how that was there and how, you know, I, I thought that that would be pretty cool because I keep seeing people as we watch and do our sprint planning or backlog refinement, you know, forgetting to click on save and close. Uh, well, Justin tried that out and got the repo and, and he was having problems getting it working. I sent that to Sean. Sean said, oh, yeah, it's been a little while. I need to work on that. But Justin, I want to thank you for that. And again, Sean's got that, got uh, your comment and he's going to be working on it. Uh, Martin, I am not going to pronounce your last name. You know how much I butcher it every time, but, um, he had a question and, uh, he listened to the last show and he really liked it. Glad. I'm glad you liked it, Martin. Uh, is and we didn't answer this now, and we'll probably answer this in a, uh, another show since we're running out of time. But you asked the question: uh, How DevOps professionals do their release pipeline? And you ask: Is is it depending on the type of product and, and why? And yeah, it's going to be. It depends. Is the answer? Uh, and and do you have any recipes? So we're going to make that 
We'll make that a show subject. I don't know exactly when, but we'll get it on there and we'll talk about it because, yeah, it, it, what I mean, what would you two say? Gordon, we'll start with you. Uh, you know, how do you do your release pipeline? Besides, it depends. Uh, well, it's largely it depends, but the other weird problem that I have is I say, cool, like I'll set up, this is how we're going to do stuff. This is our standard, guys. We're going to do this every time. And then we do two release pipelines later. I'm like, guys, I'm changing the standard because it just didn't work. Yeah. Or, guys, I'm changing the standard because there's something else we can add into it. I think it's important, I mean, especially with saying words like DevOps, we're always trying to improve things. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, to think that we could just rubber stamp this is what a release pipeline is, and in a month's time that release pipeline is still going to be valid, um, I, I don't think that's ever going to be the case. I mean, I think... Especially all the time we we set it up, it's always setting up what the minimum thing we can set up to get the job that we need to get done now is. Because I mean, you could add all kinds of fancy stuff in your pipeline. You can spend like probably like three months like architecting the best pipeline, but then that's three months that you're not going to have <laughs> released that product. Make it work and iterate. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, I kind of look at it the same way, where you know initially you want to you want to get to that stability. Right, you want something that's reliable that you can you can count on. It's going to release the product or products that you're you're looking to get out there. From that point, though, it starts to become a, a, a journey, much the same as the you know scaling the summit of Mount DevOps is considered a journey. I think the the construction and maintenance of those pipelines is the same thing, and it depends on the product that you that you're deploying. It depends on how many different facets to that product there are how the teams work um, it can be based on team size artifact output I mean there's a lot of different things that, that factor into that but at the at the center of it really what you want to start with is a good solid foundation so something that works every time yeah and it's yeah fun. I mean you, you definitely don't want to be adding in stuff that's like this is so cool having it in but like it <laughs> works even like 80% of the time because there's that, <laughs> yeah. there's, that, there's that 20% of the time that's like, oh, could this fail? And, and the worst part about that is you, you never really know, is it failing because of that thing that it has or is it failing because it's actually saying broken? Yeah. So then, like I say, with our stuff, just run it again. Um, it's not all of our stuff. There's like one or two projects. Yeah. I should probably say that. Um, <laughs> but like, <laughs> it's like just run it again. And while you're running it again to see if it is that same issue, like your product's actually down. At which point, hopefully, your monitoring kicks in to be like, hey, your product is down. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, and even the idea, we'll, we'll maybe make that part of the same show, but DevOps professionals. When we first started talking about DevOps, there was no such thing. It's not it's really not, quote, unquote, supposed to be a title. You know, it's yeah. just what right. you do. But the way it's evolved, I think all three of us will agree, it, it kind of is a role at least if not a title for somebody to play yeah i mean i've seen it largely um companies are using so sort of a, a devops something like attack on a word at the end engineer consultants practitioner like whatever um they're adding it like if the guys have in-house guys so that, that aren't consultants they usually from the way i've seen it as being those are the guys that you go to if you want information. So they're basically like in-house consultants. Um, so it, it was, I had a interesting debate so many times with the guy that was sort of the head of this DevOps team, um, at where I previously worked. And at the end, we basically like, we used to jokingly argue about it to the point like where you'd do a talk and you'd be like, and 
Gordon and I constantly debate this, but I'm the DevOps team lead. <laughs> it was like, what the hell? Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's basically like they are the guys that you go to when you get stuck. Um, they are the experts in that domain. If effectively, the, like outside consultants, except you can go to them where, whenever you want. Um, I know Collins had like the best job title ever. I mean, he's a, a oh, consultant. Yeah. He had the, the, the DevOps tologist. <laughs> it's like, that's just amazing. <laughs> All right, and our last feedback is from uh, Jeff Youngstrom uh, from Space Labs. And Jeff, thank you for the heads up that the link that I borked to the link when I posted it there. Um, he was also interested in Sean Ferguson's uh, work item migration assistant, and uh, he was thinking about uh, us using it for one of their projects. Uh, Abel built one for him, but he's thinking that this may be even better. So uh, again, I'm, Jeff, I'm glad you found the information in the show useful and I really appreciate your feedback. You guys want to give us some feedback, send us an email, make fun of, uh, make fun of Gordon as, as he, you know, goes off the rails all the time. We'll send us an email, radio TFS <laughs> at outlook.com. We're on Twitter, of course, at radio TFS, Facebook. So we even got a comment and we talked about the comment here on the show. It's slash radio TFS and voicemail. Don't write this number down. Don't remember this number. Just go to the website and get it. It's one four two five two three three eight three seven nine. Uh, Gordon, Josh, uh, thank you guys for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Many thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to radio TFS.